and welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia's podcast, the podcast where we look at technical and legal issues facing the Australian construction industry. My name is Melissa Yeo, and I'm one of the directors of the Society. It's the Philippines, and the year is 1999. Six hours drive outside of Manila, in the middle of a steamy jungle, a large power station is under construction. Among the team working to complete the project is a young civil engineer from Brisbane. Halfway through her Master's of Science in Construction Project Management, she is keen to ensure that her part of this power station is completed on time and on budget. Things are not progressing well. Along with the occasional interruption due to weather and visiting bigwigs from head office, the boiler foundations had sunk, the structure was taken down, and the works redone. Whispers of a critical path delay wash over the young engineer. Whatever that is, it has nothing to do with her. Her job is the drainage, road crossings, pipes and cables. Pretty much everything except the sinking boiler. Out of nowhere, a sexy black helicopter emerges from over the jungle canopy and lands smack bang at the doorstep of the site office. Once on the ground, half a dozen or so people disembark. Heads hung low, briefcases in hand. The young engineer quickly works out that these are not the usual visitors from head office. Their ride, for starters, is a dead giveaway. No one has ever turned up in a sexy black helicopter. To the contrary, everyone else who attends site is made to suffer the six-hour sweltering car ride from Manila. The new arrivals walk straight past everyone into a meeting room and shut the door. Curious, the young engineer nudges her colleague and asks, what do they do? Her colleague replies quietly, as if it were taboo. They're the lawyers, they do claims. The young engineer shrugs and carries on doing what she's there to do, build a power station. She gives no further thought to the lawyers or the claims. Little did she know that, in less than a decade, her career would shift dramatically from long, arduous car rides to remote sites to build stuff, to flying in style on her way to meet the lawyers as a globally sought-after expert in claims and senior vice president of HKA Global. Her name is Wendy McLaughlin, and I'm very pleased to have her here with me today. So I remember you telling me a long time ago that you didn't intend to become a programming expert. You began your career as a civil engineer, as I ran through in the introduction. Can you tell me a bit more about how you wound up leading the construction dispute service offering at HCA, which I should tell everyone who, um, who hasn't um, checked out your marketing material recently, is that it used to be Hill International. That's right. We have a new trading name, HKA. Well, the transition really began in the Philippines because I was part of the planning team and then I was taken to the next project, which was in Malaysia, which was an even bigger power station. Um, And we had a lot of issues with late engineering that we knew was late. So every subcontract we placed, we said, you can have this subcontract, but please don't give us any claims for late information. You need to take that risk, even though we know it's ours. And I really didn't have any idea of the implications of what we were saying but then I got sent back to head office to deal with all the late engineering issues as a uh, reward for moaning (laughs) about them for most of my time on site excellent (laughs) and so I was in this engineering house's head office and I was one day called into this meeting by the commercial department I had no idea who they were or what they did and they asked me if I could do this thing called an as-built program and I looked at them and I said well yes but you have to show me what records you need mm. and they then they took me down several flights of stairs into the basement to an endless array of cupboards and said well they're all in there 
kind of okay. waved me towards them. And I opened one and I picked up a file and was piling records. I'm like, mm, yeah, okay, understand those. <laughs> another cupboard, concrete pour records. Another cupboard, yep. pipe welding records. Yep. Another cupboard, someone's steelwork diary. And I said, yeah, no, I, c- I can do this. And they said, okay, you, do, you go and do that and we'll go and appoint the delay expert. And I said, well, what are they? <laughs> and then they kind of explained what they did. They went to appoint Keith Pickervance. And I thought, well, I could do that. That sounds yep. like something I could do. So I applied for a job. Mm. And then about a year later, I was working for Pickervance Consulting. I was very lucky to find something I like doing like yeah. planning on a project's really frustrating so yeah. all I did all day was nag field guys about how they were <laughs> going to do something by the time they said they would because I couldn't see it happening for these reasons and I just knew there was something at the smarter end of the construction spectrum that I could do yeah. and I was it was just pure luck that I could find it oh, and some cool. say it's the perfect job for a woman to be able to be right about saying <laughs> what went wrong and why <laughs> Excellent. And as for heading up the HKA expert services offering, that's something I just grew into. Mm. So prior to Hill, I just worked with some amazing people at Navigant and then at Accuracy, and I learned about doing the mechanics of a forensic delay analysis and, yeah. and running a business. Yeah. And then one, my boss had this 3 a.m. chat with me in Singapore one time that he always likes to remind me of <laughs> about a year after I joined Hill telling me I could do anything I wanted and there were no limits. And he was kind of right, oh. as he likes to remind me. <laughs> well, look, he absolutely was right. Um, and uh, um, that's fantastic, honestly, um, to find something that you really really like is um I think uh, something not everybody gets to do so that's fantastic um so on a different tack uh, I'm sure you don't get to where you are without a lot of incredibly hard work and sacrifice and I know that because I've worked with you before and you'll call me in an airport lounge from Dubai or Doha or wherever the case may be and you know you're only ever out of touch for eight hours max (laughs) so um can you tell me what has been the hardest part of your journey uh, so far there's probably a lot of hard work hard parts to it um the long hours and being away from home a lot are difficult keeping a large team of people busy is a constant stress Mm -hmm. keeping them happy it takes time and effort um Hearing prep is never, ever easy. It's a awful, stress, stressful and lonely time. Yes. <laughs> Every single time. Well, you know, you're in the hot seat, so that, that must be an incredibly uncomfortable position. It's sometimes. not fun, <laughs> but we keep going back for more. That's right. That's right. Oh, fantastic. Um, so you mentioned long hours and, and, and the trouble, but... Um, Can you tell me, um, for all of our listeners out there, um, and for some of those who might be considering a career change, or for some of those who might have not yet chosen their career, um, despite all those things, can you tell me why they should consider not only pursuing a degree in engineering, but also specializing in construction programming and expert witness work? Well, let's just start with engineering. Okay. (laughs) Engineering is a great degree. It's fun. You don't have to write that much. (laughs) You can do a lot of maths and pracs and calcs and write far less than arts or law. Mm. You don't actually have to read that much either. Yeah. (laughs) But you do get a broad exposure to different types of engineering. 
I'd do it again. I'd recommend it to anyone thinking about what undergrad degree to do. Mm. Um, it can be, it can lead to being part of a construction project team, either on the design side or on the site side. And that's incredibly satisfying because you are part of a team, but you can see the results of what you've been part of yep. from right from initial site investigations all the way through scheme designs, detailed designs, and then the construction phase and all the fun and games that comes with that. Like you can see the results of your work, which yep. I think is a big plus. It was Absolutely. certainly very satisfying for me. Absolutely. Now, um, in terms of figuring out you know how to get involved in that aspect of um engineering so delay analysis and that sort of thing because this is something and i think i've mentioned to you before i had absolutely no idea it existed neither um, did i <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any tips for people now um if they want to explore that option like what they should be looking at or getting involved in i think any exposure to the contentious part of a project and how the parties deal with those issues and come to a resolution mm. is a useful thing to be exposed to. And that can either be in the commercial side of things, the technical side of things, or the planning side of things. So mm. the delay side of things, we're really looking to see what is the issue being complained of? Yep. What effect did it have on the works of on-site actual effect? Yep. And was that a critical path delay or was it just another non-critical path delay that just happened. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, now, you've hinted that engineering is fun. <laughs> um, can you tell me, what would you say are the best things about your job, the things that keep you coming back for more, as you said before, even though you're in the hot seat? <laughs> uh, my colleagues yep. here in Australia and around the world, the types of projects we get to work on, the project teams we get to meet because they're always an interesting bunch of people. The solicitors and barristers we get to interact with. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys have an amazing grasp of engineering principles for non-engineers. We certainly give it a go. You do become a jack of all trades in this gig. So That's right. I once had a QC refer to load distribution principles when talking about a problem in his mouth when something was bridging over teeth. And I'm just looking at him going, really? <laughs> All right. So what, in your view, makes a good expert? I think an inquiring mind, yep. certainly, to constantly question, to be able to listen to what you're being told, yep. uh, a structured and analytical way of thinking, being a good communicator, both orally and in writing and graphically, mm. Um, bringing clarity to complex, messy problems. And one of the most important things is to understand your role in assisting the tribunal. It, you're not there to show how clever you are. You are there to help them make their decision. Exactly. And, and that's, um, that's incredibly important from my perspective as a construction disputes lawyer, because you engage an expert and it is critical that they know that they are assisting the tribunal. And also, you're assisting a number of lawyers who have probably maybe varying degrees of understanding of these principles. So mm. it is always very helpful when we have an expert who can explain things to us in, in layman's terms. So, um, and I, I do appreciate that. Um, now, how can we help you? Um, and when I say we, I mean your instructing solicitor. Um, how can we help you to do your job by the required deadline? I think um, 
Most solicitors think of a program, think that a programming expert needs programs, mm. and that's it. Just a contract clause and off the pro and the programs, and 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 there you go. And it, it's really not about that for us. It's about the rate of progress and the reasons for the rate of progress that underlie those bars. So mm. it's really understanding that what we're doing are rates of progress exercise from from business records, from primary documents, because yeah. the program is a secondary yeah. document. Um, so help us get the documents we need from our clients. Mm. And it's often too easy for a client to say, no, we don't have those, mm. or no, you don't need them. We'll mm. give you this that we've produced. But the expert does need to verify from source records. So the better our instructing solicitors understand the principles of the nuts and bolts of what we're doing with that granular project. Yeah progress data the better yep yep um all right so turning now to your team you mentioned before that that's one of the things that keeps you going can you tell me because you're i've met your team um you managed to um collect an incredible group of people from all over the world <laughs> um so can you tell me a bit about how to maintain an effective happy team and how that's um, critical to the overall success of a matter or a project? I think it's really important to respect your colleagues and inspire them. Um, some of the work we do can be quite tedious mm. and boring and they can really get kind of left in the mire for a while. So if you can provide them with that bigger picture, mm. take them along to a meeting, take them along to hearing so they can all see where it ends up. That, that's a good thing to do. If the balance is off within the team, identify and address the cause. Yep. Don't let it fester. Yeah, yeah. They um, don't teach you that in engineering. No, <laughs> well, this is, and you know, it's all part and parcel of running a business as well. Mm. Um, you know, there's more to just um, being an expert. If you're vice president of HKA, you're running mm. a business and um, maintaining a team is, is part of that, definitely. Um, can you tell me, what are some of the challenges you've found leading a team remotely as you are required to travel all over the world and how do you navigate those challenges? Well, at times the time difference can be an issue, but I get up early <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot wherever I am in the, in the world. Sometimes it's difficult to convey what you want remotely mm. if the time difference doesn't work. Um, there are things that are just done more quickly in person, like mm. just sitting down, drawing something, mm. having a quick Q&A with someone about something that they've done for you. Yeah. So I have a lot of late night calls, a lot of 5am calls. Um, and it's hard on the team as well because they have an absent leader. Yeah. So it's hard for them if, if there's problems. And sometimes I'm not there for them if they need to walk into my office and, mm. and, and vent. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of challenges to manage with being away for yeah. as much as the time, as much of the time as I am, yeah. um, but I think if you're organised, structured, yeah. everybody knows the way you work and what you expect. That does help a lot. They probably all know they can call you at five a.m. They do know <laughs> they can call me at five a.m. Five a.m. is actually better than nine p.m. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm brain dead by nine p.m. <laughs> um, so, different question. Do you um, or did you have any mentors and or sponsors that helped you along the way? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, um, 
the guy that was the head of the European business at Navigant was a mentor. He's still a mentor for mm. me. I saw him a couple of weeks ago in London. Uh, in return for his mentorship, I supply him with yoga teachers. <laughs> and, uh, um, of course, my peers in the programming expert industry from a technical perspective, mm. like they've, they've brought me up. We talk about technical issues from time to time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... What was the most challenging project you have ever worked on and why? Oh. <laughs> and you don't have to name names. That's You're fine. <laughs> you can just anonymously talk about, what was it, a, a think, sinking power station? Oh, that was okay. The sinking power station was okay. That's before I knew what delay analysis was. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was, there's two that spring to mind. Mm. They're both LNG projects. Mm. One's a regasification terminal in the UK. Mm. One's an LNG project here. Mm. But the challenging part for me was they were both American clients, American law firms, mm. two law firms usually on both projects with high expectations that were neither managed nor met. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. Um, Okay, so this is the um, little bit of a fun Q&A for you. Ooh. Now, this is, I call Wendy's top three, because I know you have them. <laughs> All right. Now, considering you are such a seasoned world traveler, I'm going to ask you, Wendy's top three tips to beat jet lag. Uh, don't eat on the plane. Nothing. Uh, as little as possible. Okay. Be in the time zone you land in, however hard that may be. Okay. And never get the red eye from Perth to Brisbane. Yeah, I hear that that's a killer. <laughs> right. I'm just still fascinated about this don't eat anything on the plane ever because when you travel for work, um, if you're fortunate, you're at the pointy end and there's a lot of good food. That's good food in the lounge. <laughs> eat in the yeah, lounge. <laughs> All right. Um, Wendy's top three strategies for effective time management. Uh, make a list every day and number the tasks in the order they need to get done and okay. stick to it. Mm. Work from home if you need to get something intense done mm -hmm. and don't get distracted by the easy things that can wait. Yep. Easier said than done. Yeah. Oh, I fall victim to that as well because you want to just tick things off the list. <laughs> Correct. Makes you feel good. That's right. It's a short-term feel good. <laughs> All right. It's like doing non-critical work. <laughs> That's right. Now, Wendy's top three pinch me moments. Oh, okay. Um, last November, I was in this arbitration hearing in Chile, um, during which one tribunal member smoked all the way through. Oh, you're kidding. That was kind of a minor pinch me moment. <laughs> um, but it was, we went out uh, for a break in the proceedings and normally everyone scurries away and mm. into their rooms this was completely different everybody was all out in the open drinking talking <laughs> smoking having a chat and i was like my goodness <laughs> <laughs> Not, nothing really surprises it's me but <laughs> this is surprising um what else every time i go to rio de janeiro when i land and i go down the beach i'm like wow yeah. Love yeah, this place. That's on my list. It's mm. on my list. And the arriving as the 26-year-old in the Philippines on site for the first time and just being awestruck by the size of the project yeah. and slightly daunted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, top three successes. Uh, our business here in Australia, very yeah. proud of that yeah. um, and build, building it up. 
the house that we built in 2014, 2015. I, I'm very I, proud I tell of. you, it's phenomenal. And you know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely mind-blowing. And my other top success is learning how to switch off. Okay, now you have to teach me how to do that. Because <laughs> that's something I haven't mastered. and I'm Yoga with know. Bryce. <laughs> Yoga with Bryce. Yeah. And Bryce is in Brisbane. Bryce is in Brisbane. Interesting. Yeah. And how many times a week do you do yoga? Uh, with him once um, okay. and then two or three other times, depending yep. on timing and travel, how right. tired I am. Yeah. Yoga with Bryce. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, recapping a bit about what we talked about in terms of pursuing a career in engineering. Mm-hmm. Top three reasons to go for it. Uh, you get to build stuff you can see. Yep. You get to be part of a fantastic project team. Yep. And you get to meet fellow engineering nerds and make friends for life. (laughs) Indeed. All right. So this is a special request from one of our Society of Construction Law members who I believe you know. Um, And uh, he has requested um, that you could tell us about the key differences between the new SCL delay and disruption protocol and the old one. Okay. Um. There's an elevation to the core principle that you should submit and assess suspension of time claims during the course of a project. That's mm-hmm. a, a big change and, mm-hmm. and elevates that in the eyes of the project team as an important thing that should be doing. Mm-hmm. I think the most significant difference for me um, is on the methodology side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the preference for a particular programming methodology, which is time impact analysis, Uh, has been removed when the analysis is carried out time distant from the event. I think Mm -hmm. that's an important change. Uh, It also says that it may not be appropriate, which for me is a very welcome change. Um, And also on the methodology side, the as-planned versus as-built in Windows method is finally properly explained because it was missed Mm. out of the first edition. So that's much welcomed clarity as is the table that describes the types and descriptions of the delay methodologies. Mm. And they look at it from three perspective, uh, three different perspectives, which I thought was, was a, a big difference yeah. from the simple table in the first edition that has crosses that everybody <laughs> cuts and pa- everybody except me cuts yeah. and pastes into their reports. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, the judicial references are gone. Which right. I think is a good thing because they're constantly changing, mm-hmm. um, and the protocol is is uh, I think view, still viewed very much as a UK common law type of document. At least that's what people in the civil law jurisdictions <laughs> say. Um, there's some better guidance on uh, concurrent delay, yep. which we're not going to talk about in this podcast. No, okay. <laughs> uh, the model contract clauses are gone. Um, there's a little bit more on record keeping, but it is quite general. Yep. Uh, and there's um, more on disruption, uh, mm. setting out some various methodologies that you can apply because mm. there was not a lot. There was mm. basically just a definition in the first edition. So yep. that's been developed yep. quite significantly. Oh, good. That's, that's about it. Excellent. Well, um, what, done uh, by, chaired by a Queenslander. Yes. That committee. Yes. Well, our member will be very happy to, to, to hear that update. Um, on records, I'll just ask you, um, what are, um, you know, in terms of record keeping and tips for record keeping for mm-hmm. those of our listeners who are involved in that, do you have any suggestions for them to ensure that their 
exactly what you need when you get to your stage? I think that the principle to keep in mind is get yourself as cl- as close as possible to the person doing or supervising the work mm. and what records would they keep. Yeah. The QA is a good place to start because yep. they're the records that the organisation has to keep yes. because they've said they'll keep them <laughs> and they may have hold points off with the client. Yeah. So that's a that that's the principle that I I keep in mind. Yep. The other one is any kind of project procedure that sets out yes. what records are going to be kept because they're also quite useful because then if you get presented with well we don't keep that you can say but clause 3.3 of this procedure (laughs) says that you're keeping that Um, so that's 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 the principle closest you can get to the person supervising the work and what they would keep yeah oh excellent well um thank you very much wendy that um that exhausts my questions um and i'm very grateful uh for you catching up with me today happily you're only five floors down so you didn't have to make a, a significant trek um so thank you for t- for taking the time to share your thoughts with us um if our listeners would like to know more about wendy's work you can find her on linkedin and hka global's new website www.hka-global.com which is launching soon i was That's checking right. it out today so yes. Um, so be sure to subscribe to the Society of Construction Law podcast to be alerted when new episodes are available. We look forward to sharing further podcasts with you. I'm Melissa Yeo. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.